0: The Blaze Radio Network on demand. Glenn
1: Beck, a goat rope, goat rope, also known as a confusing or disorganized situation. If you're uh, uh, in the military or a veteran, it's either a goat rope or a cluster, you know. What a complete dumpster fire the Kavanaugh hearing was yesterday. It was it was shameful and embarrassing. This is the United States of America? Senate Judiciary Committee uh, Chairperson uh, Chuck Grassley got a few words into his opening statement before all the Democratic presidential hopefuls began ridiculously interrupting. Listen just to, a little bit.
2: Good morning. I welcome everyone to this confirmation hearing. On the nomination of Mr. Judge Chairman Brett Kavanaugh. Mr. Chairman. To serve as Associate Justice. Mr. Chairman, the I'd Supreme like to be recognized for a question States. before we proceed. Regular order, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to be recognized to ask a question before we proceed. The committee received just last night Less than 15 hours ago, 42,000 pages of documents that we have not had an opportunity okay. to review or read or analyze. You are out, you're out of order. I'll proceed. We cannot possibly move forward, Mr. Chairman. I with extend this a
3: very warm welcome to Judge wife. This is, you know
1: what? There's you don't even see this type of behavior in junior high school. Here's senators like Carmela Harris, Cory Booker, Richard Blumenthal. They were leading their own version of Occupy Wall Street. A mic check, mic check, mic check. That's what was happening yesterday. This is what's happening in our colleges and our universities. You'll just go in and you'll just hijack it. Then, as if on cue... A handful of shrieks could be heard as a platoon of protesters led by Linda Sarsour began yelling and holding up signs in the back of the room. Here's a little bit of what that sounded like. Ah, Linda Sarsour. This this is who the Democrats are idolizing. Linda Sarsour. It was a total sideshow representing the absolute worst in American politics. Politico reported that Democratic senators held a conference call on Labor Day to decide what kind of charade they wanted to do. The first plan was to stage a massive walkout, but they ditched that plan thinking it would play into the GOP's favor. They eventually agreed that the shout down, a tactic that you'll find basically at every leftist protest or riot. Now we have elected officials mimicking groups like Occupy Wall Street within the halls of the Senate. What's next? Why don't we all just imitate and mimic Antifa? And really, for what? Kavanaugh looks liberal compared to Gorsuch. We, we never saw those fireworks at his hearing. And the documents that got dumped on him a few hours prior, Seriously? Now you're suddenly into reading what's put in front of you is old and busted. It's old and busted to say things like, um, oh, I don't know. We have to pass the bill so we can find out what's in it. What about the what about the two thousand two hundred thirty two pages omnibus? Did you read that before it was dropped on you just a few hours before you all voted on it? I'm all for reading anything before making a decision, but don't suddenly start caring now when that's never been your policy before. And the documents that they're so outraged, why are they being withholden? Well, they know good and well that those documents will never and can never be released. The papers are controlled by the Bush White House and are communications to the president. No president. No president. Let me say it again. No president has released those kinds of documents. More information, you know, before making a big decision is always the preference. But the Democrats have chosen to make these documents their rallying cry because they know there is no chance of anyone ever seeing them because no president has ever, ever released them. This is a red herring. It's a goat rope. It's a cluster. It's a clown car. However, you want to describe it, it's a charade, a temper tantrum to draw attention. Democrats just used the Kavanaugh hearings to play like the toddler who decided to lay down in the store kicking and screaming because mom and dad just would not buy them a toy. Welcome to kindergarten. Welcome to the United States Senate. Circa 2018.
0: It's Wednesday, September 5th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program.
1: You know, I have a lot to say on this, but I don't think it leads to anything good, <laughs> <laughs> except more outrage. I mean, the the I, I do want to say this: the setup. The setup of Kavanaugh. First of all, let's just be humans for a second. Can we just be humans? His children had to be removed from the hearing. Of the most important thing that will probably they'll ever experience in their lifetime. How many of us have had a dad that was being considered to be a, a, a Supreme Court justice? How many times in history does that happen? How, what is the decorum of something like that in America? Shouldn't there be some decorum? It's a pretty serious job.
4: And there, but there's a trade-off that you have to consider, you know, if you're a Cory Booker or, uh, you know, a Kamala Harris, which is, yes, there's the terrified children, but then there's also the sound clip that you get to run and see in the primary, which says how opposed you really were yeah. Yeah, to Brett Kavanaugh, and that is—I mean—that's not. Its but you know what? It's, in a fundraiser. Not, it's
1: not even. It's not even the Kamala Harris and the Cory Booker and and all of that. It is. Why was that not cleared? Why was that hearing room not cleared? When when you have to remove children. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, ask Chuck Grassley, who uh, who made it very clear the problem with it, with it was he didn't run the committee right. Grassley, it was actually a really funny clip because he's just like. I've I've criticized other people for this before, and I've just, you know, you ha- the, if you're not running the committee, then the committee is running itself, and we need to get this under control. And he was saying it that was, he didn't step up enough. and I,
1: He didn't. He, he, he didn't.
4: He, to his credit, he let everybody kind of do what they wanted to. He wasn't trying to shut anyone down, which is not what you're going to hear from the media. Uh, but he, he really didn't
1: step in to stop you know, the it,
4: nonsense.
1: It, 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 when you changes. have to remove someone's children... Because they're too freaked out by it. That should tell you something, America. It should tell you what we're, what, what, what are we turning into? Now, we can be mad about this, but I'm going to explain why you should not be mad about this. Because it plays directly into their hands. But we, we do need Grassley to clear the room and to make it very clear. You can sit here and you can watch it. But you don't have a right to disrupt it. And if you disrupt it, I clear the room. And you can go watch it on TV. You go protest outside. But not in here. We're doing business. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no secret hearings. It's all televised. Go watch it. We're trying to do business. That needs to be done. Um, With the setup of the Parkland father, who shockingly could just be put on within five minutes of trying to shake Kavanaugh's hand. He was booked on CNN. What a crazy coincidence. How did he get that? Wow. That's fast. And it was just, there was no setup. There was no setup. He was just there. He just wanted to shake hands. Now let me ask you a question left and right. You're in a hearing for how many hours? You are surrounded, surrounded by people who are attacking you. Your children were so freaked out that they were taken out by security. You've had people around you and in front of you attacking you for hours. Literally. You are your ears have to be ringing after that. You have to be like almost, almost, uh, you know, some sort of traumatic brain injury from just getting kicked in the head for that long. You stand up. Security is on both sides of you. They're just trying to get you out of the room. Everything that you have done is foreign to you. You've never been in anything like this ever before in your life. Security has been. So you stand up. You're still kind of dizzy from getting kicked in the head. Everything that you have seen has been a setup. Everyone who has advised you has said, don't say anything. Don't do anything. Just say what you have to say. Button it up and move on. You're getting up. You're getting ready to leave. You turn. There's a guy. There's commotion. All the noise in that room there's commotion you're still a little dizzy a guy says hi i'm fun," and you're not really hearing him now let me take this two ways first way you're not really hearing him because of the noise in the room and everything that you're processing in your head and reaches out to shake your hand the question is as you're processing, I've got to go where? Where is the security? Where is my family? I got to get out of here. Let's just keep moving on. A guy sh- puts his hand out to shake. All you're hearing is all of the advisors who say, look, you're going to be set up. Just don't do anything. Do you reach out and take the book from Chavez? Because you're just, a, and it's, you don't even know what it is. Do you take the book from Chavez knowing that it's probably a setup? That's one. Even if he knew he was a Parkland dad, uh, I don't think Parkland dad is, is there to do anything but set me up. Dad, Parkland dad has an agenda. So what's the best move? You have to make this decision right now. And you've never been in that situation before. Which do you do? Reach out and shake his hand? Possibly after everybody has told you you're being set up, after hours of being just ripped apart, you see a guy who you assume is not there fairly, not there because he really wants your opinion. Do you shake his hand or do you turn around with security and you leave? That's if you heard him or could process it because of everything else. Either way, I don't shake the guy's hand. I've been in that situation so many times. So many times where it's chaos around. I've got my family had to be had to be removed. I, I tell you, I've had this exact convers uh, exact situation. I've had my family have to be removed. I stand up. I'm starting to move security. I am. I am. You're like a. When you're in that situation, you are honestly like a bull in a run. You are a, you're a sheep in, in a run where they're just kind of moving you. I've had them pick me up by my pant belt and move me. Now, that didn't happen to him, but that's how confusing these things are. You're just in this shoot. And you don't know. You're processing other things that you're supposed to do. Their job is to protect you and get you out of there. You can't process both. It's too much. And so they're pushing you along. And I've had this happen. Somebody will reach out. And I've had it happen good and bad. I've had set up. I've had just innocent person that just really wanted to say hi. I've had both of them. And I've done both of them. I've reached out and shook hands. Mistake I'll never make again. You are a Supreme Court justice. You have just been through something that no other Supreme Court justice has ever been through. For the media to set him up with a Parkland parent is despicable whether they confirm him whether or not he should be the guy is beside the point to put his family through that the democrats should be ashamed of themselves linda sarsour should be recognized as the pariah she is you want to talk about a radical extremist it is linda sarsour and she's in bed with the highest uh, uh, of ranking officers in the DNC. It is shameful. You don't have to agree with Kavanaugh. You don't have to vote for Kavanaugh. But this is... Be- you know what? This may be beneath Venezuela.
4: And if you needed, uh, if you're wondering if he had an agenda, the Parkland father, when he went there, the only piece of evidence we have going into this is the tweet he sent a few days before the hearings in which he said, I will be at the Kavanaugh hearings and I hope to play a role in ensuring that this man does not become the next Supreme Court justice. And he
1: is. Because... Because the media, let's just say they don't even know. They didn't know last night. They certainly knew before he got on TV that he said this. Mm -hmm. To treat him as a non-hostile, to treat him as just a Just Just a a normal guy, just a dad. Just a dad who showed up. Mm. Is despicable again beneath Venezuela. Okay, here are uh, five words. Five words that everybody wants to say. And very few people do. I love my office chair, not the no-name generic piece of junk that you've been sitting in for a long time, but an X chair, an office chair. I will tell you, this thing—oh, they've oiled it. This thing—I've ordered oh, a new.
4: Please tell me we're getting X chairs. Please tell me we are.
1: I got one X chair for uh, for my desk. i oh, one desk. for you, huh? Yes, I did. That
4: was was your priority decision there. You decided to
1: prioritize yourself. (laughs) Yes, and I absolutely love it. It is one of the most comfortable chairs ever. These things uh, are pieces of crap. There is a difference between, you know, there's a difference in chairs.
4: Oh, yeah. There's a huge difference.
1: difference. Huge difference. Uh, And I will tell you, once you sit in an X chair, you're not going to want to have anything else for your office chair. And I have to tell you also... I have purchased chairs that were more expensive than the X chair and not nearly as good, not nearly uh, as uh, as de- as dependable. You can feel it. You know that you know how you can feel quality X chair, X chair on sale now for one hundred dollars off. If you're needing something for your office, you're needing something, uh, you know, for your desk, X chair Go there now. The letter X chair beck.com or you can call 1-844-4-X-Jair. chair. x chair comes with 30 day no questions asked guarantee for complete satisfaction. You're going to love this. Use the promo code Beck that's B-E-C-K and get a free foot rest as well. 844 4 x chair or xchairbeck.com. Back. So I haven't even gotten to the show yet. I didn't plan on saying any of that stuff. <laughs> it's just uh, that, that's extra. Uh, we may have to run the show in overtime today because I've got a lot on the plate uh, that we have to get to. Uh, by the way, we are going out on the road for the first time I think since 2011, maybe 2010, uh, and we're doing a we're doing a show. We I mean we used to do these comedy shows all the time, and people used to know that. And uh, now it's kind of like, really, Colonel Sanders? is humorous um so uh, there'll be
4: fried chicken for all the people that buy fried chicken for
1: everybody so Mm. here's the thing uh we're going out for the first time in a very long time theater near you san antonio houston dallas richmond hershey uh pittsburgh cleveland kansas city evansville um tulsa tampa orlando and a few other cities to be added uh you can grab your tickets now um, the tickets are for pre-sale only. There are three classes of, uh, tickets. There's, you know, some really, you know, posh behind the scenes kind of stuff, uh, that you can get, and then you can just get the regular tickets. Uh, and a book comes with, I think most of the tickets, at least the two, the two upper levels, you get the book and it's signed and everything else, but I'd love to see you, uh, and, uh, grab your tickets pre-sale only until I think tomorrow, uh, and you can do that at glenbeck.com slash tour. Find out all of the information. I think you have to use the promo code the blaze.
4: Yes, you must use that for the presale. The blaze is the passcode. It's glenbeck.com slash tour.
1: And there's a few of the theaters I saw last night are, are approaching sold out. The one in Dallas is like, uh, uh, I think like three quarters uh, sold out. And we just announced it twice yesterday. So grab your tickets now. It's uh, glenbeck.com/tour slash tour. All right, um, if you're if you're on the right or you have some common sense, there is reason today to be outraged on a couple of things, uh, but let's let's stick with the Kavanaugh hearing, and let's just zero in on the Parkland father, the Parkland father. Tweeted a few days before, I am going to be at the Kavanaugh hearing and I hope to do my part to make sure this man never gets a seat on the Supreme Court. That's his stated goal. With a hashtag of block Brett. Right. Okay. his stated goal. He's on CNN as soon as this happens and Kavanaugh turns his uh, his uh, back to him. Now, I don't think Kavanaugh knew who he was. But let's say he did. And let's say he knew that security had told him, look, there's going to be a Parkland dad. He just tweeted this a couple of days ago. He's going to be there. If you see anybody from Parkland, just move on. Don't say anything. Okay, That's not out of reason that that could have happened. Don't think it did, but it's not out of reason. Would anybody blame him for that? He's being set up. By a guy who says, I hope to do my part. I'm going to be at the hearing in, in a public
4: forum. Correct. So that he would be held responsible by the people who follow him. Right. Like
1: he wanted to do something to make a splash here. Correct. And he did. And so the press put him on and they made him this poor little victim. No, no. In his own words, this is what he was trying to do. So we could be outraged at him. We could be outraged at the media. But we already know about him and we know about the media. What do you do? It's important, really important, that you don't play into the outrage and you don't swing back. And it's it's because that's what they need you to do. And it is the only way that we make no progress. I have a book out called Addicted to Outrage, and I really I've not worked harder. This is the probably the best book that I've written since um, Common Sense and probably the most important book that I have written since Common Sense. Uh, And I I want you to read this and I want you to share this with your friends because it is strategy, but more importantly, it is the understanding that you're not being given anywhere else of what's really going on. What is the game we're playing? And unless you understand that, you're playing the wrong game and you will lose. And it's, it was interesting reading it
4: after going through the last few years with you uh, and watching your approach to how you've tried to handle these issues. And sometimes, you know, I don't know. Like I, There's a big part of me that likes the pushback. There's a, huge a big part, part of me, of me likes that, 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 that likes, you know, we talk about when liberals eat their own and mocking them. And, and all of that, I think, is is okay at some level. Yes. Um, but the outrage creates something different. And you really you outline this throughout the book. Um, and it's kind of the first time, at least to me, that I've ever seen you outline it that thoroughly, uh, where it goes through and shows... The reason for uh, handling these issues this way and the, the you know, there's a, so much surface stuff that goes on now. You, look the way that people cover this. Like they don't even go to the point of looking at the tweet from the guy in the Kavanaugh hearing from a few days ago. They don't even go that deep. And the people behind the movement that are changing the society, that are making all of us sort of feel like what the hell is going on? Those people have thought it all out. Mm-hmm. They have a plan. They mm-hmm. have an approach. They've outlined it in deep philosophical writings that you're never going to get from cable news. You're never going to get from Twitter. If you In this book, you go through a lot of that stuff, outline kind of what the basis is of it, of what they're trying to do. I, I, and it's so easy to understand once you read that. It all clicks into, into line and you understand why you have to approach
1: these issues in a different way. Would you agree that... I've been talking about this for at least a year for two years, three years ago. I didn't know what my gut was just telling me don't play into this. Yeah. Okay. Um, But the last two years and especially the last 18 months, I've really started to put things together. And I started doing research on this book when I had a theory about 12 months ago and I've learned so much and correct me if I'm wrong everybody who's on the staff i think including you that i've been talking about this for a while it wasn't until they finished this book that they went oh my gosh i get it mm-hmm. it it changes everything
4: yeah it changes everything because it, it you can kind of see how important it is to to go this way rather than Sort of the easy path. I mean, you know, well, the easy path, the,
1: they want you to take the easy right, path because it plays into their hands. It, and
4: that's what you kind of yes, go through in the book.
1: Right. And so for a long time, for a long time, I started to reach out to people and I was reaching out to the wrong. people. I was grasping at straws. But I want you to just to listen to a conversation that I had last night on television. If you don't think that this approach is working, you are wrong. You're just not seeing it on mainstream media, but it is happening and it's happening more and more. All you have to do is look for it. Last night I was doing something on fourth wave feminism. By the way, watch the TV show uh, every night at five o'clock. You will see things and learn things that you are not seeing or learning anywhere else. This is Honestly, this is like when we first started going down progressivism and the Tides Foundation and everything else. There's no conspiracies in this. It's all open sources. You can find it all. And it is phenomenal. So what's happening is by changing our approach and by understanding the language and not demonizing, not saying, oh, you're all from hell, you're all the devil, you're getting to you're getting the opportunity to to see the people who are now starting to say on the left holy cow my side is completely wrong here's a woman who was a who is a filmmaker in San Francisco she considered herself a fourth wave feminist a radical feminist and she's in her 20s I want you to listen to just part of the interview from last night's television show People who were radical feminists were fans of yours, and you've made balanced movies, or you've tried to, exposing both Mm -hmm. sides. You made a film in 2016 called The Red Pill. Explain what it was.
3: Okay, so in 2013, I was looking for my next documentary topic, and I was considering making a film on rape culture, which uh, was a fear-mongering kind of um, myth around 2012, with the start of fourth wave feminism, uh, there were many what I've now realized are myths, like the wage gap and, and yeah. rape culture was one of them. And so I, I was really believing... But you believed in believing. it at the time? I did. Okay. And I was considering making a film on rape culture. And so I started digging into what feminists were saying was the cause of rape culture. And they were pointing towards men's rights activists as preventing women's equality. And I was fascinated by this men's rights movement. i never heard of it before. There's never been a film about it, never mm-hmm. a documentary about it. And so I started to think, all right, I'm going to be the first filmmaker to ever go in the belly of the beast and mm. interview the enemy, men's okay. rights activists.
1: So if I, if, mm-hmm. uh, if I don't know much about the men's activists, uh, the men's movement, that is, as I understand it, more about I have rights as a dad uh, when I get a divorce, I, I, I automatically lose my children to, uh, you know, my ex. Is is that what you were looking yes. at?
3: Yes. Okay. And uh, men's lib in, during second wave feminism really was uh, mo- mostly focused on father's rights. Yeah. Uh, but it has expanded uh, with the start of online forums and, and blogs okay. and social media with men's rights activists having a more uh, broader kind of okay. ideology around gender. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm.
1: So you put this movie out and th- th- this one doesn't get good review. <laughs> this one, they don't they don't <laughs> like you for. Yeah. Why? <laughs> and all of
3: my previous work was about women's rights and gender politics in some capacity. And I'd always been uh, very supported by the feminist community. I, I did. Screening tours that were hosted by Planned Parenthood. Mm. Um, wow! I mean, even Feministing.com plugged my first documentary about sex education. So I, I was, um, I was very successful and well liked in the feminist community. And then I released the Red Pill, and now my reputation has been smeared. I've had my name printed alongside white supremacists. Uh, the SPLC now says that I'm. Uh, feminist trans men's rights activist that was funded by male supremacists which none of none of that is true okay
1: stop and I, she she she's remarkable in fact we start the interview last night with uh, 10 years ago you would have killed yourself before going on the glenbeck program and she's <laughs> like oh yeah i she, like i hated you she said however i didn't listen to you she said this happened to me And I've been starting to listen and watch you and see what you're saying. And I understand what you're saying now. And I agree. Now, I doubt we agree on everything. But we absolutely agree on what is happening. Now, here's somebody inside the movement. And this is happening over and over and over again. And you will. What's happening is common sense is waking up. There is enough people on both sides of the aisle that do not want to live their life this way. And they see what's happening and they're like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. You're not being fair. Americans are fair. You're not being fair. And the outrage is locking us into, into uh, being enemies. And that is the goal of this movement. And so if you want to be a part of the solution, I have always believed that this audience is going to be the solution. I will tell you, I I doubted that in the last few years that there was going to be any solution, that there was any way out. I think I've told you before, I don't know. I do now because I've taken a couple of years and I have really done my homework. There is a solution, but no one is presenting you with all of the facts on why it must be done this way. And once you understand what you're really facing, the game that is actually being played, it it will make total sense to you. You'll be. Oh, my gosh, I get it. And don't tell me that it's not working. Wait until you see her tonight. She's going to be on again tonight. The conversation we're going to have tonight. This was a radical feminist. She's now I I invited her up to come in and spend an hour or so with me uh, here in the studio so we could just talk and 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 just let her just tell her story. She was I, I would love to I'd be honored. She hated my guts. I haven't changed my point of view. I've changed my approach and allowed people to hear me say, yeah, I wish I had that all over to do again, which allows them to say, and all of the science behind that statement is in the book. Why that statement? Oh man, I wish I had that to do all over again. Why that statement is important. The science of that statement is in the book and it allows people to go, okay, all right, well, you know, I've made some mistakes. And once that happens, it's done. It's done. Pick up the book. Um, It's available in bookstores and everywhere books are sold here in the next couple of weeks. And you know what? Uh, This Bob Woodward book is just going to run crazy uh, for the next, uh, probably until Christmas. It'll probably be number one. I would love to beat bob woodward i don't (laughs) think that's possible but i would love to beat bob woodward uh because the media will i mean what what are they gonna do what are you gonna do um pick up the book buy a couple of copies give it to a friend addicted to outrage it's available everywhere september 18th you can pre-order it now So I'm reading some uh, news from around the world as I'm watching the global markets and everything else that I do so you don't have to. Um, and I just, I can't get over this feeling that um, the, the alt-right is about to uh, raise its ugly head uh, in, in Europe. It is already starting to happen. The right and the left are becoming more and more radical in Europe. Um, Did you see that? I I think it's, it's a city in, um, is it Venice that said that they were going to go to cryptocurrency because they're not going to, they're not paying for the debt. They think that debt is, is wrong and they're not going to pay for it. And the, and the Euro is funny money. It's starting to happen Mm. when these things happen. uh, The world changes. And running to the grocery store, eh, probably going to be nothing but empty shelves at the beginning when panic sets in. And that's the same where if it's a hurricane or a fire or whatever, prepare. And a practical place to start storing up food in your home is my Patriot Supply. These are the people I've trusted for years and years and years for food storage. Be ready for whatever life might throw your way. Stop trying to prepare the road And start preparing yourself for the road. Every person in your household should have two weeks emergency food supply from my Patriot Supply. And the kits are 75 bucks right now. 92 servings of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 92 servings. Take action right now. 800 or go to the special website preparewithglenn.com. Food lasts up to 25 years in storage. Meals come packed in rugged slimline tote. 75 bucks. Rest well knowing that you and your family are prepared. Preparewithglenn.com. 800-200-7163. Preparewithglenn.com. Glenn, back. I want to... <laughs> I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the Bob Woodward book. Um, Because I I don't understand the outrage here on this one. I really don't. Uh, And we'll talk about that coming up in just a second. Also, you know, the Cosby Show uh, actor, uh, Jeffrey Owens, who Fox News, shame on you, uh, tried to out this guy and like, look at him. He had to take a job at a grocery store bagging. And there's nothing wrong with that. And he has responded in such an eloquent way. Everybody needs to hear it. Glenn, we'll tackle that. Back. And Bitcoin Mercury. coming up. Glenn Beck. Uh, Linda Sarsour, the leftist equivalent of. Uh, I was saying Milo Yapanopoulos, but I, I, it, it might be Richard Spencer. What do you think, Stu? I think she's more like Richard Spencer. Linda Sarsour pulls outrageous, logic-defying stunts. Her side roars with chance and then pats themselves on their back. That's why she's like Milo, but her actual policies are much more in line with somebody uh, like Richard Spencer. Make no mistake, Linda Sarsour is as bad as both of those people. She's much worse, I think, than Milo. Her virulent anti-Semitism, her anti-white racism... Her flagrant uh, disregard for America, the Western ideas, the Western laws, her support of Sharia law, her connection to Hamas, her connection to Louis Farrakhan, her her open misogyny. I mean, I could go on, but the show isn't this long. She's called for jihad against President Donald Trump. She's called for the assassination of our president. And yet somehow or another. The Democratic Party, not Democrats, the Democratic Party embrace her. I don't know of a single Democrat that would embrace Linda Sarsour. I do know the power and the money people that do. But the media is not telling the Democrats, the truth about who she is. Well, yesterday she got herself arrested. She was one of the dozens of obnoxious protesters that showed their classless outrage at Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings. Uh, she leapt up. She began screaming shortly after the hearing started. Brett Kavanaugh's daughters, aged 10 and 13, were rushed out of the room for their safety. Now, is this, is this who we are? Sarsour took the uh, arrest as a badge of honor. She said, I will be able to tell my daughters and my future grandchildren that I stood up, that I was not and will not be silent when our bodies and our rights are on the line. Now, I find this a little ironic and hard to swallow coming from a woman who's wearing a hijab, who believes in Sharia law, who has said that critics of uh, women, critics of Islam That she, quote, wishes she could take their vaginas away. She has signaled uh, her virtue by having stood up. When the bodies and rights of women are on the line, Ion Hersi Ali was her target. Ion Hersey Ali had genital mutilation happen to her. And when she spoke out about it, Sarsour said, I wish I could just take her vagina away. I don't know. There is a place where, you know, bodies of women are at stake. I have to side with Candace Owen on this one. Candace Owens said, quote, you have to be a special kind of idiot to get arrested for women's rights alongside Linda Sarsour, an Islamist who supports Sharia law and the forced mutilation of women's genitals overseas. Indeed. She said, if stupidity was the crime, they would have held you without bail. End quote. Candace is right. By the way, tonight, five o'clock, Glenbeck TV on the blaze. I'm, I'm going into Linda Sarsour and her part in fourth wave femi- uh, feminism, something you will not see any place else. The radicalized new form of feminism that blends social justice marxism and postmodernism—it is the fight we're engaged in right now and unless you understand it you will lose tonight a way out five o'clock only on the blaze tv
2: it's wednesday september 5th you're listening to the glenn beck program
1: all right bob woodward
4: he's got a new book out glenn i know I've heard. Is there a, ever been a worse book launch? I mean, you book, they they kind of leak all this stuff out, all this salacious insider Trump details. Oh, I
1: think this is a good one.
4: You think so? Against the Kavanaugh hearings? I mean, it didn't seem to get much at all yesterday. I mean, even the places like CNN weren't leading with it, which is, you know, I mean, this is this is like catnip for MSNBC, right? And even there, it wasn't getting the attention I thought it would get. Now, the book's not out yet, um, but New York Times sort of savaged it in their review, did they really? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, they said, uh, you know, it was they said, of course, you know, you could tell the writer absolutely despises Trump, but like they were disappointed in it. didn't really get anywhere new. Uh, you know, the there's not a lot of color in it. It was just a list of sources. And you can tell who the sources were because all the people
1: were <coughs> they praised.
4: Look yeah, they look good in the book.
1: Well, that's what Bob Woodward does. He praises people and then they say things uh, and he promises that you'll look good in the book. You just give me the dirt. Okay. Let's take all of the, you know, he's an idiot, he's unhinged, he's retarded, all those things. Let's take all of that out, okay? Is,
4: uh, Trump is denying that he called Jeff Sessions retarded, by the way. Right. Um, so that is uh, that should be on the record.
1: Right, okay. But there's some other quotes about Donald Trump, supposedly from his staff, that are just as unkind, okay? Yes. Um, and let's just take all of that out. Let's just take all of it out. And I looked at what the book said yesterday, and not only is there nothing new here, I believe I have heard multiple, many Trump supporters, even diehard Trump supporters, who who have kind of championed what's happening in, in this book. For instance... How many Trump supporters do you know that say, I really like him, but I wish he would put Twitter down. Right? Very common. Very uh, common. Expression. I wish supporters. they would just take his Twitter away from him. So part of the expose in this book is there was a committee that tried to come to him. A White House group of advisors came to him and said, Look, we've we we're just forming a committee and 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 we think we should vet all of your your twitter posts and trump wouldn't do it now this is made to look like oh that's crazy no no even his supporters even his supporters are like you know some of the stuff he says are good some of the stuff is crazy and i wish he would just stop it because it's hard and would you expect
4: anything else to happen in a situation like that the staff is saying hey please restrain yourself from these activities that might throw us off course and then it's Trump's decision as the president of the United States to decide whether he wants to do them or not. It's Correct. totally his call. He made the call and he's continued to tweet. OK,
1: so now here's the other thing. And tell me if you actually have a problem with this. There's a the the book opens with a with a uh, story of Gary Cohn. Now, Gary Cohn uh, was the guy. He was the chief economic advisor when we started going down the the trail of uh, uh, trade wars you know, he wanted nothing to do with it. So he's gone, blah, blah, blah. However, the, the, it, it opens up with this this letter, a critical trade agreement with South Korea. And it, the letter would have taken us out of this agreement. And it was sitting on Trump's desk. Cohen sees it and he's like, oh, I got to get this away from him. And he takes it and he says, according to the book, I stole it off his desk. I wouldn't let him see it. He's never going to see that document. Gotta protect the country. Okay. There's only two ways to look at this. One, deep state, which, strangely, the left has been saying there is no such thing as deep state. Right? Haven't mm-hmm. they? So you're, you would have one way to look at this is evidence that deep state exists. You are taking. Things away from the duly elected president you are taking things off of his desk the guy we voted for or didn't vote for but the people put in office and somebody who's not elected is taking it off of his desk and saying he's not going to even see that one
4: yeah intentionally to hide it from him so he doesn't make the decisions he wants to make
1: okay so you could classify that as deep state right The president gets in he can't really do anything because people tie his hands all right so the left has to has to decide does that exist or does it not exist and is it a good thing or is it a bad thing now i generally think in fact i always think that that's a bad thing however i haven't been necessarily um well let me let me take this out i have I have talked to several people who voted for uh, Donald Trump, many people who have said, and let me give you the best spin on it. Look, he's he doesn't know all of the ropes, but that's why he's going to have the best people around him and the best people around him. They're going to stop him from doing anything that's truly reckless. Okay, when it comes to war, part of this is about war. That his advisors around him are like, no, Mr. President. No, 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 yeah, no, 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 He
4: wanted to go into Syria, according right. to the book. Yeah. And uh, and,
1: and assassinate.
4: Uh, assassinate Assad. Yeah. And uh, Mattis, you know, got on the off the phone with him reportedly and said, yeah, we're not doing any of that. Uh, and they drew up a much more, you know, conventional way of going about things, which is what they wound up doing. I mean, that's what you have a you know Secretary sounds, of Defense for yeah, right like
1: sounds like that's what how it should work. Mm-hmm. you know, as long as they're keeping him in the loop, that's how it should work. And I don't have a problem uh with in this particular case, um, I don't like the fact that anybody would keep information from him. Right, you need to have you need to be
4: able to talk to him and say, Correct. this is why this decision is wrong. here's why it's Correct. right, and then he gets to make the decision Correct. that part of the the process, according to the book, has stopped happening all the time and they you know the people in the book claim the reason for it is he won't listen to reason like that so you can't you can't bring him things like that. He's just going to dismiss you and do what he wants anyway, so you have to do it this way.
1: That's their argument well, least. okay. That's deep state or or is it what I've heard many Trump supporters say a good thing? He's got good. He doesn't know about all of those things. And it's a good thing that they just they're they're, they're smart people around him. They're not going to get us into trouble. OK, so is that a good thing or a bad thing? Usually bad thing, but we're not dealing with usual stuff anymore. Okay, uh, Porter said, a third of my job was trying to react to some of the really dangerous ideas that he had and try to give him reasons to believe that maybe they weren't such good ideas. Does anybody have a problem with that? Woodward claims that's a coup d'etat. Mm, mm, well, no. No.
4: That's another amazing point, though. You know, how long have we heard that these things are not real? And now liberals are saying, the yeah. Woodward's saying it's a coup? Right. That's a uh, that's a remarkable part of this book that's not right. really getting attention yet,
1: and nobody is nobody is pointing out that wait a minute, part of this is what Trump supporters wanted. They wanted a guy to go in and break all the China, but they also wanted really good people around that could say, "Don't break that China," right? Okay, that's what you have. Trump supporters. Bob Woodward, if you take all of the he said, she said stuff that you're never going to know if that's true or not. Take all of that stuff out. If you look at what he says is going on, this is what you knew going in, and your your backup was, I'm going to have really good people around him. That's what he's going to put good people around him. That's what's happening. Let me give you a couple of other things. Um, Woodward writes that Dowd, the Trump attorney, uh, saw the full nightmare of a potential uh, Mueller interview and felt Trump acted like a grieved Shakespearean king. That's he said, she said. Don't know if that's true. Trump seemed surprised at his reaction. You think I was struggling? Now, what what's happening here is they did a mock question and answer and uh, Dowd played uh, Mueller and said, okay, let's just, see, let's just play this out. Is there any doubt in anyone's mind? Because I want to let me let me read what he says. Um, The goal of this was to argue that Trump couldn't possibly testify because he was just incapable of telling the truth. He just would make things up. That's his nature. The passage is an unprecedented glimpse behind the scene of Mueller's secret operation. For the first time, Mueller's conversations with Trump lawyers are captured. I need the president's testimony. I want to see if there was corrupt intent. Trump said, I think the president of the United States cannot be seen taking the fifth. Um, His attorney said, there's no way you can go through these. Don't testify. It's either that or an orange jumpsuit. Okay. I don't know if any of that language happened. I don't know if he ever told, you know, Trump that you're going to go to prison and you'll be in an orange jumpsuit. It doesn't matter. Does anyone doubt that the president of the United States whether he knows it or not and i think i could make a very strong case he really doesn't even know what's true and what's not because of the way his mind has worked for so long he's a salesman he's that's who he is he's not a he's not a builder he's not anything else he's the guy who walks into the room and you're going to love this you're going you have to have 3 of these you know in fact when i'm done with you you're going to be working for me selling these cuz you're going to believe in him so much it's the greatest it's the best it's it's the biggest it's golden it's wonderful it's going to change the world he's a salesman
4: he's himself has said that he says things a lot of times just because it's negotiation right that's a big argument as well of trump supporters
1: so let me let me take this and dissect it a bit more when we come back and ask you again what's the problem here isn't this what you expected take all the he and she said out now, let me talk to you about Casper. I've been sleeping on a Casper mattress now for, I don't even know, a year now? Such a great mattress. Such a great mattress. Um, I, have, um, I have all kinds of just stupid um, issues. And sleeping uh, is really difficult uh, for me. Uh, and, um, and I'm always hot. My wife is always cold. Although I will tell you, hot flashes... There is a part of me that <laughs> enjoys the hot flashes part because we are compatible now. Anyway, we're both sleeping cool and comfortable every night thanks to the unique combination of foams, and uh, they provide the right pressure uh, for relief and alignment. It's, it's really great. Casper will ship free to your front door in a small box. You open up that box, please. Open it up on the box springs or where you want your bed because uh, it's huge. You can't believe it's fitting in that box. You open it up, you try it for 100 nights. If you don't love it, just call them up. They'll come and pick it up. No questions asked, you'll receive all of your money back. Try it in your own home. Take the Casper Challenge, 100 nights in your own home. Casper.com. Use the promo code BECK. Casper.com, promo code BECK. All right, so let me continue on this uh, Bob Woodward book and just ask you, what is the problem here? What is the what is the thing that we're supposed to be outraged by or surprised by? Um, let's go back to the uh, J. Seculo and um, and Cohen meeting where they are not Cohen uh, Dowd where they are. The attorneys are meeting with the president and said, let's just do a mock, uh, you know, interview here with Mueller. Uh, Required preparation, whether you're going to do the interview or not. You got to know how it would go. Any doubt that that happened? Of course that happened. If it didn't happen, the president doesn't have good representation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they sit him down and he just starts going in and they start asking the question and um, it doesn't go well. He just starts to, you know, say things and make things up or things that, you know, might be a little dicey and they stop him. Now, any doubt that the president would play fast and loose on this, that he's not an attorney. Right. He's he's a he's a salesman. And so he's going to go in and tell a great story, gets things out of order, says things that maybe didn't exactly happen. The same. I mean, of course, that would happen with most people, I think. Correct. And he has a a, a propensity, a propensity (laughs) to do those things. Okay. so I don't disagree that that probably happened. Now, two parts of this story. One Uh, They say that he went off like a Shakespearean king uh, and got really angry. And he's like, this whole thing is just a setup, blah, blah, blah. Any doubt he did that? No, he's done it publicly. Any doubt at the end, he came back and said, you know what? You think I was struggling? I can nail this. You you, go ahead. Put me up with him. Any doubt that the president thought or said that he could master the anything. Again, he said that publicly. Okay. All right. So what is the big what's the big reveal here? And why are people on our side uh outraged? If you if you are hearing the media so talk to Bob Woodward, what's the outrageous point here? Because that all sounds like what I would expect to be happening behind the scenes. I wouldn't expect that this president is not a he doesn't play by the rules. So what part of this is confusing? If you take all of the he said, she said, which will never, unless they have tape, you'll never be able to prove the charges aren't new. The charges aren't surprising at all. Welcome to the program. Uh, I wanted to get Tika Tuari on. He is the editor of the Palm Beach Letter uh, and uh, does our smart crypto course. At smartcryptocourse.com. Last night, bad night in Bitcoin, and wanted to get Tika on the phone. As I read this morning at 5 o'clock, we didn't know why uh, there was this massive sell-off of uh, cryptocurrency. Tika, welcome to the program. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Glenn. Thanks for having me.
1: This seems to be some sort of a coordinated or massive sell-off. Do, do, uh, fly, almost like a flash crash any idea what happened yesterday
0: yeah what happened was um there's a story out put out by business insider that goldman sachs is not going to go forward with their crypto trading desk and this has everybody up in arms oh my goodness if goldman doesn't give it its its golden seal of approval it's not a real asset Um, And, you know, people are panicking, which is what they do. But what's interesting is that uh, Bitcoin is still holding 7K. So I just want to shed some light on this story. So I have spoken to um, uh, a former Goldman Sachs alum. He left recently for obvious reasons. I cannot give you his name. And he has seen the roadmap that Goldman Sachs has for crypto. And they have a full crypto roadmap for getting involved in crypto assets now if you look at goldman they've been coy for the last six months oh maybe we're going to have a trading desk no 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 we're not going to have a trading desk that's not going to happen and then bang news comes out oh you know what we're actually going to have a trading desk now they're saying well no we might not have a trading desk but we're going to have custody right so you're going to ask yourself you know, why all these mixed messages into the into the market so again I don't know, Glenn, are they using this to buy Bitcoin on the cheap? It it would not be the first time a big bank has manipulated sentiment in order to buy Bitcoin on the cheap. Uh, We saw Jamie Dimon do that last year when he came out and he called Bitcoin a fraud. And then we saw that out of Europe, the two biggest buyers of Bitcoin were JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley. Uh, a, a buying exactly when their ceo said if anybody bought bitcoin on behalf of the firm they'd be fired so uh, this type of uh covert manipulation or movement of the market uh, this uh, overt manipulation of sentiment it's, it's nothing new it happens in the equity
1: market every day it happens it it, it also happened in the great depression i know my grandfather um uh, told me, you buy when everybody else is selling. He said, that's how people got rich in the Great Depression. When everybody else was selling, you didn't buy. You bought when everyone else was selling, not while they were buying. Um, and uh, he he spoke in the Great Depression about the large institutions that would come in and they would talk things down and it would get really bad. And then they would come in and buy everything up. And that's that's what happened in 2008. Uh, and it's possible that that's what's happening with cryptocurrency
0: well let's talk about two thousand and eight for a second in two thousand and eight two thousand and nine Amex hit nine dollars and seventy one cents Harley Davidson hit eight bucks, and Bank of America hit two fifty and So the reason why I bring that up is that price can only tell you so much. Right, Amex at 971, the price is telling you they're going out of business. Bank of America at 250, price is telling you they're going out of business. But in times like that, you can't focus just on price because the sentiment is so negative. So when it comes to things like Bitcoin and early stage technology, you have to look at them differently. In early stage tech, Price is only one barometer. It's not the best barometer of value. You've got to look at the pace of innovation and the pace of adoption, right? So if you look at the pace of innovation, specifically in Bitcoin, it's transformational. I was just in Sicily meeting with a couple of uh, developers on the Lightning Network, which is a, uh, a, a payment layer that sits on top of Bitcoin, which allows you to do enormous amounts of transactions at a very low cost and so these developers were showing me an application uh, that's been created where you can go and you can buy uh, one pixel right so you can create pictures online you can buy one pixel for one satoshi so one satoshi is one 100 of a millionth of a bitcoin so it's a tiny fraction of a penny now normally you can't do a transaction that small Because every transaction on the Bitcoin network costs a dollar, Uh right? So if you do a transaction for a fraction of a penny, it's going to cost you a buck. But with the Lightning Network, they've, they've figured out a way where you can do millions of transactions for virtually free. So they've done 10 million of these one Satoshi transactions where the cost of the transaction has been below the cost of one Satoshi. And that's transformational right that that's that's it's the equivalent of going from a dial-up modem to a broadband in a year right it completely eliminates that whole problem that people have with bitcoin oh my gosh you can't do many transactions on it and and it's too expensive
1: okay Tika. so i have two questions and i've only got a couple of minutes left yeah. uh, let me ask you sure. two questions one uh why i think it was i think it's venice where the mayor said, mm-hmm. we're going to do our own currency and it's going to be a cryptocurrency and it's it's we're getting off the euro, et cetera, et cetera. Why are countries like Venezuela or Milan? Why are they not just buying into something like Bitcoin? Why? Why are they trying to do their own thing when it's just so, not going so to the, work?
0: It's the same. It, it won't work. The same thing happened. In the 90s, where companies said, Oh, this internet thing's interesting, but we're going to set up our own intranets, our own internal internets. Everybody mm-hmm. tried to do it themselves. And they tried that for three or four years, and they wasted billions of dollars, and it failed. And then they, they finally woke up and they said, all right, I, I guess we've got to go use the public Internet. So the same will be true for these currencies. Nobody will use Venezuela's coin. Nobody will use Milan's coin. right? And they'll realize that and they'll say, you know what, we're going to have to use a public coin. And it's going to be Bitcoin that they ultimately go to. And if you look at the black market right now in places like Venezuela, in places like Brazil, Argentina, and even in Russia, there's a whole underground economy using bitcoin because as volatile as bitcoin is it's much more stable than their base home
1: currencies. Okay, last question. You were up in I think July and you said the things that are going to happen in the next few months are going to take bitcoin to 40,000 uh Correct. by by the end of the year. Yes. You still feel that way?
0: Yes, and there's
1: two reasons. One, the uh ETF
0: and two ICE, the International Continental Exchange, which owns the, N- the New York Stock Exchange, is set to open their BAKT B-A-K-K-T, platform in November. Uh, BAKT is going to be the first institutional platform where institutions can buy, sell, trade, and custody cryptocurrency. It's going to be the first time a pension fund will have a legitimate, fully regulated exchange to start buying cryptocurrency,
1: and that's done for I, sure. We know that in 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 November,
0: we nothing's for sure. Uh, ICE is waiting for one final approval, but okay, uh, they they're, they're saying in their minds it's a done deal. But yeah, could it, could it not happen? There's yeah, certainly a possibility, Glenn. Yeah, but uh, the they've been working on this for 14 months. They kept it secret for 14 months, and uh, uh, now they've finally gone public with it. So I think it's a done deal here's something interesting about ice they make two and a half a billion in net profits each year each year Glenn why would they mess around with cryptocurrency and I'll tell you in a word it's because of binance binance is a, a an online exchange that's barely a year old it's unregulated and they will net a billion dollars this year holy cow to put that Put that in perspective. Deutsche Bank has been in business for one hundred and forty eight years, employs more than one hundred thousand people. Binance is now more profitable than them. Right. So so the money and that's this even in a in a bear market. There's so much money here that the big banks and the brokerage firms are just missing out on that they're building this regulatory framework so they can go get a piece of it. And, and the ultimate bigger pie is so much bigger than the 35 million people that currently are in crypto globally. Mm-hmm. The, big, the big picture is the 500 million people worldwide that own stocks. Those people are not gonna come into crypto through non-traditional means like Coinbase and Binance. This is not gonna happen. They're gonna come through traditional broker-dealers. And I think that's the reason why companies like ICE, um, uh, Goldman, JP Morgan, uh, Northern Trust, uh, Bank of America, why they're collecting all these patents, why they're getting involved in the custody business is because I think ultimately these are the guys that that are gonna shepherd the rest of the world into crypto and they're going to make hundreds of billions of fees uh, doing it. That's the big picture for them, not not this little market that we have right now.
1: Tikkatswari, thank you so much. Appreciate it, brother. And uh, you we'll, got it. Keep eye, we'll keep our eye. we keep our eye on uh, on Bitcoin. Uh, smart uh dot is where you can take his course. All about Bitcoin. All about what it is. Uh, how it works, what blockchain is, how this is going to transform things. You know whether you invest or or not in in Bitcoin. I think everybody should have a hundred bucks in Bitcoin because it is possible that it's transformational wealth. It is possible that this is the AT and T in nineteen you know ten or nineteen twenty or the GE of nineteen ten or the Apple or Google of nineteen ninety five. Uh, there is that real possibility, national wealth uh beyond uh anything we've ever seen. Um and it's worth a hundred bucks, I think. But you can uh you can check his uh stuff out uh at uh, smartcryptocourse.com smartcryptocourse dot com. All right, I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor. It's Liberty Safe. Liberty Safe, man, they they last a lifetime. You're gonna pass your Liberty Safe on to your kids or your grandkids. You know. Assuming that you, you know, have guns still, you know, or or any kind of wealth or any kind of paper or anything that you can pass on. Your optimism is is overflowing at this point. Yeah, I was thinking about just, you know, locking everything into the, the safe and then just, you know, putting a time lock on it and then opening it up in a couple of hundred years. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Just pop out, see what happened. I mean, if you could cryogenically freeze yourself right now, would you? You and your whole family, and it worked, and you knew it worked.
4: No, no, it's it would be really cold. Yeah, you don't feel the space heaters here. (laughs) No, I I mean
1: it's it's rough. Anyway, uh, uh, this is something that will last lifetimes. It's a Liberty Safe. Liberty Safe gives you uh, fast, and uh, reliable access to your firearms and your valuables. It's part of really being a responsible owner uh, of a gun, and it's never been easier. Now, with 12 months interest-free financing on approved credit, fast application with quick approval, over 2 million Americans own a Liberty Safe right now. They have a 98% customer satisfaction rating with over 42,000 reviews. 98%. Uh, Not a lot of people get that visit online at LibertySafe.com. safe.com liberty safe.com use their dealer locator to find the closest dealer to you. Go see a Liberty safe in person. It's Liberty safe, liberty safe.com. Glad you've uh, tuned in today. We have, uh, we have somebody really fascinating, um, uh, coming on here in, in, uh, just a second. And, Another example of why you need to read Addicted to Outrage. Um, it, it is a book of strategy. It is a book on how to win because there is a game being played right now, and it's being played by uh, a, a, a small fraction of Americans, and they are, they are enlisting each of us on both sides And we are fighting the fight for them as designed and as planned. And once you understand who these people are, remember the difference when you couldn't understand how Democrats, uh, you know, were acting and then you found progressivism. And I remember people saying, you know, Glenn liberal and progressive. It's the same thing. No, it's not. No, it's not. Let's be precise on words in a, in a time when words are meaningless. Let's put meaning behind words. We are now past the progressive era. We are now into the postmodern era. And that changes everything. And your kids are on the front lines of it. And they understand language and, and have heard language that you've never heard before. And as we're trying to argue about how many genders there are, it's, it's meaningless. That's a meaningless Argument. As we try to argue about, you know, hey, well, this person is doing this and then they're saying this, that's meaningless because we're in a new era. And until you understand it, you'll fight it in a way that will only help them win. Uh, that's what addicted to outrage is really all about. And for a long time, my gut told me we have to go down this road. But I didn't really understand why I started doing my homework because, quite honestly, I gave up. I was like, I, there's I, there's no way out. There's no way out. It's too far gone. There is a way out. And we are beginning to see the fruits of the labor actually starting to make a difference. But if you are arguing the same argument that we have been going back and forth for the last you know, 20 years, you won't be a part of it. We have somebody who's coming on uh, next who uh, is evidence that this is changing. Yeah, she was a liberal
4: columnist uh, who, you know, looked at the world from a completely different perspective than I think most of us, uh, you know, that are here right now listening to the show. And she had an awakening of sorts when she started looking at some of the arguments um you know from the people on the intellectual dark web of what we've talked about before the Jordan Petersons and you know the uh you know that that crew Dave Rubin and, and all those and and
1: how is that crew doing it what is what is Dave uh, or uh, Jordan Peterson doing he's canadian he's not talking about politics we're so, we're caught arguing about politics instead of arguing about bigger ideas And so when you start to get into bigger ideas and you don't make it about politics and it's all about what's true and what isn't and you are rational and reasonable and not angry, the whole world opens up. And I'll show you the example of it next. Glenn Beck. It's Wednesday, September 5th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. We live in a time right now where it seems that Big ideas don't matter. I mean, the big concepts, the, the principles, the, the things that allow us to move forward as, as a society. Nobody cares. Truth doesn't matter. Uh, principles don't matter. Integrity doesn't matter. None of it matters. And yet we will fight to the death over the smallest so-called microaggression. It's the biggest thing ever, and everything's got to stop, and I need a hashtag and a protest sign, and I've got to take that bastard down. That's the world we're living in. You're either on the train, or you're an enemy that has to be destroyed. That is not going to work. That is coming from, as I write in my new book, our addiction to outrage. And it is, we're playing into the hands of a, a handful of radicals On both sides, they would like to destroy the Western way of life, like to take us to a postmodern era, which means leave all of the things that the Enlightenment gave us behind. That ain't going to work. But the problem is we are all certain that our side or that we are right. I used to be very certain about a lot of things. I am only certain about one thing now, and that is... Certainty is going to be the death of us. I wanna I wanna introduce you to somebody who let me just let me just read a little bit of the resume uh she has written for numerous magazines including the new yorker the new york times magazine the atlantic vogue she is a recipient of the 2015 guggenheim fellowship the 2016 national endowment for the arts fellowship and is also on the adjunct faculty in the mfa writing program at columbia university school of the arts if you read that you would be certain that she has nothing to say to you that you might go wow wow and I bet that she a few years ago might have been certain that there was no way that she would ever say anything civil to Glenn Beck. Megan uh, Dom is uh, on the program with us now. Hello, Megan. How are you?
2: Hi, Glenn. It's good to be with you. I love that introduction. I'm <laughs> I'm chuckling to myself. Right? Do I'm I happy to be here?
1: You're happy to be here. Would you have been happy to be here five, six, eight years ago?
2: Five, six, eight years ago? What were you doing back then exactly? I have to say, Glenn, I always found you very intriguing. Um, I found you uh, exasperating in a way that now that I look back on it, I think there must have been something in there that that was making you uh, particularly push people's buttons. So so I don't know. Okay. It's interesting well, to be here now.
1: Well, good. Okay. So I want you to tell your story because I think there's something uh, – uh, let me – Let me start just so you know, we're kind of on the same page. I just wrote a new book. It's coming out in a couple of weeks. This is the this is the dedication to all those who are willing to step out in front of the crowd to question reason and have dangerous conversations. Men with whom I may strongly disagree at times, but will I will always consider refounders of reason and contemporary heroes. Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin, Jordan Peterson, Brett Weinstein, uh, Stein, uh, Sam Harris, Jonathan Sachs, Penn and Joe Rogan. These are the kinds of people that changed your point of view.
2: They changed my point of view. Well, you're asking me that question. Yes. Um, So my story, let's see. I mean, I I guess I'm not sure that I have changed exactly. I was I have always been a writer who is interested in contradictions and interested in, you know, human tendency uh, towards hypocrisy. Um, and I've always had the luxury as a writer of of being able to kind of sort through those things um, in a thoughtful way and having the time and the space and, and a readership that would kind of let me um, invite my readers to think alongside me as I sorted things out. So, and I think what... Yes, go so, ahead.
1: So, May, let me, let me make sure that I'm, I'm stating... I should state this much more carefully. People think that I have changed my point of view. I haven't. I right. have... I have lost certainty on the things that I shouldn't be certain about. And that is other people and, and, uh, and, you know, uh, good versus evil that everybody is in one of two camps, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. that kind of thinking to where it's exhausting to not be able to have a conversation and no nuance in people.
2: Right. So the nuance was the thing that I was interested in. So what I noticed of, if- Starting a few years ago, and I think this really started heating up in probably 2015, was that, as you say, there was no room for uh, discussion across the lines. I was a newspaper opinion columnist for more than a decade. I started in 2005, and the difference between when I started and what the climate has been like in the last few years is striking, um, and I'm not sure I changed as much as, as I saw some, not all, but some, many of my peers and colleagues um, really taking on an approach that was pretty narrow, um, and yeah, I started watching some of these folks uh, on YouTube that, that you named, and um, it was very, it, I, got, I got drawn in, and I didn't like everyone equally, and I didn't agree with everybody, but um, it was quite compelling.
1: So what are you seeing? Um, first of all, to take us back, because you had a really, I mean, you've had a traumatic few years uh, in your marriage and also with kind of looking at, um, you know, the world and, and, and uh, some of the people that were around you or the, the, the people that were the loudest voices on the left. Can you take me through some of that?
2: Well, so you're talking about um, a piece that just went up that I that I published very recently yes. uh, called "Nuance: A Love Story." Right. Um, and in that piece, I I talk about how over the the last three years or so, um, I started noticing both as a journalist and just as a as a private person that um, you know intelligent friends of mine were just not really willing to have conversations. Uh, where they entertained that, you know, people on the conservative side might have a point or that there might be some contradictions in their own views. Um, And it just became an echo chamber, and it became really, really frustrating. And and I really felt, ultimately, a a sense of loneliness about it. And and the reason that I, I kind of did this particular piece the way I did was that I wanted to get at the more Sort of visceral human side of this, because certainly a lot of people have talked and written a lot about tribalism and polarization, sure. and that that sort of approach is important, but it's nothing terribly new. So I wanted to get at this, at the more emotional components of this phenomenon.
1: And what are the emotional components?
2: Well, I just think that that you know whether you're on the left or, or the right, um, you're used to um, a, a agreeing with your friends or at least being able to to talk with your friends um you know go to a party and and everyone kind of um is on the same page and and i just felt like there suddenly, um, you know, with, with the 2016 election, there was such a feeling of crisis within the left. I felt like the feeling was, well, this is such a crisis that we have no room for nuance. We don't have the luxury of a complicated discussion. Everybody right. needs to get on board right now and and take down Trump and and talk in the most simplistic, uh, hand-fisted terms. And... On one level, I understand where they're coming from. But on the other hand, it's not just, it's just not very interesting. That was my problem. It was just it's boring. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I don't like anything about Trump. I think we are in a crisis. But that doesn't mean that we have to shut down uh, all thoughtful conversation or refuse to ask questions complicated difficult question
1: for instance you you talk about in this article you talk about um you know that your friends and and this has happened this happens on the right too your friends will get a few drinks in them and then (laughs) they'll start to say okay look i'm with you on this right but they'll never ever say that out loud in public they'll never take that stand they'll call you over and they'll be like look And I've had this without booze. People have come up to me and go, look, I really appreciate what you're doing. I mean, don't tell anybody I'm with you, but I'm with you.
2: Right, right. Well, and one of the things that drives that is social media, right? Because there is a dopamine hit you get from virtue signaling on Twitter or whatever it is and saying the thing that's going to get you the most amount of praise in the least amount of time and people just keep doing it and keep doing it. Um, And I've had plenty of times where I've had people say, well, you know, I kind of, you know, I I don't really think that, but, you know, I just, for for my own personal brand or for my readership or whatever it is... um, I, I'm going to say this this very reductive thing, um, you know. So, what and, do you
1: think about what What do you think about? Uh, um, Benjamin Franklin talked about this at about 1772, and he said, I, "I just can't go to parties anymore." I mean, he the guy was a bon vivant, <laughs> and and just a great. I mean, I would love to hang out with Benjamin Franklin, and he was like, "I can't go to parties anymore. I can't because nobody is serious. We are facing serious issues." And nobody is, nobody's really talking about any of that stuff. (laughs) Right. I mean, do you kind of feel that way?
2: Yeah, and I think that people get really threatened. I mean, so it might be helpful just to talk, you know, in specific terms for a moment. So, like, one of the things that I talk about in the piece is the way this, this you know, this group, very loosely defined kind of constellation of thinkers has now sort of identified themselves as the intellectual dark web, okay? So so one of the things I talk about in the piece is, you know, the, my interest in that group, but also my wariness with the the fact that this this, you know, this tribe has supposedly devoted itself to anti-tribalism, and and that's a, a right. contradiction there, and that's it something is. you've got to work out.
1: <laughs> it's kind of like libertarians who tell you you're not libertarian enough. It's like right. wait, well, it's what? Like
2: you, right, but I mean, these are people that wouldn't want to belong to you know a group right. that would have them as a member, but then right. here they are in the group. So right. you know, but so I you know, Glenn, I mean, one of the things that comes up a lot is this issue of the gender wage gap. So this is a subject that is really complicated, um, and it gets a lot of people fired up emotionally, and there's a lot of baggage around it. And, you know, the problem is, there is a gender wage gap. I don't think anybody uh, who's looked, you know, into it at all could deny it. Obviously, there there is, you know, in the aggregate, men earn a lot more than women. Now, is that because of uh, a patriarchal conspiracy or institutionalized sexism? Maybe a tiny bit, but overall there are very uh, concrete and quantifiable reasons for this um, and if you want to look at, you know, issues around childcare and issues around, you know, flexible you know, the way the economy works and flexible hours and why women choose to go into professions they do, you know, that's a, a much more complicated question around economics. And those are the kinds of questions that need to be asked. But unfortunately, we can't even get to the point of asking those questions because people say, well, how can you even, you know, question uh, the, the gender wage gap? You know, you're a sexist. I, I not want to have this conversation it's it's threatening to have this conversation and you shut it right down right there and we can't even then begin to solve these problems so (laughs) and that's what's really frustrating
1: okay so so let's let's go there i want to take a quick break do you have a second to to hang with us absolutely okay um let's take a quick break and when we come back I, i want to talk to you about um you know the reason why we have tenure and i support this is to be able to say crazy things in the, in the pursuit of opening up minds and thinking differently. That's what moves people forward. Uh, However, we now have this, this, this movement that is really um, in the colleges and, and with college age uh, people that they, they just, they're hostile to anything that challenges them. It's, absolutely destructive i'd love to hear your thoughts on this and and how we have those conversations when you're drummed out of business you could be deplatformed you know or you'll have a mob attack you when we come back been telling you a little bit about uh, goldline's new silver maple flex that allows you to break off smaller pieces for barter and trade tra- and trade But I don't want you to forget the importance of uh, gold, uh, small, little teeny gold bars as well. When it comes to protecting yourself, your family, your portfolio, you want to make sure that you have maximum flexibility and diversity. That's why I own both gold and silver. Now, I don't own this as an investment, although it has done very, very well for me over the uh, last what 20 years um i I buy it as an insurance policy i hope to pass it on to my kids and i hope to never ever have to live in a world where we have to concern ourselves with that but with the way we are printing money the debt that we are in let alone the debt that the rest of the world is in and what looks like maybe coming our way uh from europe especially just look up european contagion today and see what's happening. You really do want to look into gold or silver and just find out if it's right for you. Don't do anything stupid. And again, I don't buy it as an investment, although I think it is a good one. I buy it as an insurance policy against insanity. And when I see the world start to back away from insanity, OK, I'll, talk, I'll sing a different tune. So far, everybody's running towards the insanity doors. Call Goldline. Call them now. They have operators standing by to give you all the information. They'll send it out to you. Take your time. Think about it. Do your homework. 866-GOLDLINE. 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Megan Dom, an opinion columnist for the LA Times uh, uh, and somebody I find fascinating. Um, Megan, I'd love to... Maybe after the first of the year, uh, fly you in and uh, just spend uh, an hour or so with you uh, commercial free and just uninterrupted to have a real conversation with you. I'd love that. Great. Um, uh, You know, I I am I'm new to the postmodern, you know, uh, concept last few years. (laughs) Uh, And so glad
2: to be here. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So as you're as you're watching this and you don't understand what postmodernism is, you don't understand the world at all. Uh, Once you do, you really see how destructive that is. And you're seeing it now in the colleges. What do we how can we have these conversations when it's a microaggression to say you're wrong?
2: Yeah, well, uh, postmodernism does have its uses. I mean, as a way of talking about art, as a way of talking about literature, I mean, that's. Really, I think where it's it's best applied. I mean, so one of the things this is this there's a lot of moving pieces here. So I, I, one of the things that's happened is that humanities departments on liberal arts campuses uh, over the last 20, 30 years have e- evolved so that um, a, um, a lot of the the discourse um, is around this concept of intersectionality and and power and privilege. So the students um, get Get taught that um, every that the world needs to be looked at in terms of um, of who has historically had power and how to make that uh, how to how to get rid of it how to make everybody equal. So instead of um, equality of opportunity, we need to have equality of outcome. Um, and so that really then starts this this mentality where um, you know, anybody who has more than somebody else is framed as mm-hmm. a potentially a, a bad person right? Um, and, and this has now um, become in many ways the sort of default mentality of a lot of the media. I mean, one thing I really emphasize, Glenn, is that this is not the majority of college students it's not the majority of people, this is actually a very small percentage of, of students that even get into this stuff. I, I mean, the, mo- the most college students are, like, studying engineering right. and doing stuff having nothing to do with this. The problem is that the people who do get into this tend to go into the media. They go into education. They go into the media. They go into cultural institutions. And that's why we now have a situation where the, quote, you know, mainstream media, um, the, the younger generation, um, a, a lot of people come in with this kind of sensibility. And... Uh, Oh. That is what has, uh, they they come in with this sort of sensibility and that is what has kind of made this discourse, the default setting.
1: Megan, I, uh, I'm sorry, we're out of time. I would love to have you um, uh, join me um, for a, just a, a longer conversation. And, and I'd, I'd like to talk to you about um postmodernism and and how it's useful in literature. Uh maybe you can open my mind on that one. Uh All right, I'll
2: have to do my homework. Yeah, first.
1: okay. Uh great talking to you. Thank you so much for having an open mind and and recognizing nuance. Thank you. God bless. Uh that is uh Megan Dom. She is uh with the uh LA Times. Uh,
4: We'll tweet her article out, by the way. At yeah. the World of Stewart it's,
1: it's really worth um, really worth reading. There was this. Uh, there's a couple of paragraphs in here that I think are remarkable. She said, uh, "I hardly need to uh, describe what happened over the next year. This is this is in uh, 2017. Racists became even more racist. Sexists, sexist hardened into full blown misogynists. In turn, those fighting their bigotry often insinuated their own kind of tyranny." Almost immediately, the resistance became not just a front line against Trumpism, but its own scorching battleground. To be frothing with rage over one thing meant being insufficiently aggrieved over something else. If you were worried about women, you weren't worried enough about blacks. If you weren't marching for immigrants, why didn't you show up for scientists? There's no amount of outrage that couldn't be outdone. No woke that was woke enough. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. I don't know if you saw last night's television show, um, but uh, last night we were taking on fourth wave feminism and explaining what it is and how it plays out. Today, we're going to take you right to Linda Sarsour uh, and, uh, and use her as an example of fourth wave feminism. And we had a guest on uh, last night who is just remarkable, a remarkable woman. Uh, Cassie J., she is uh she she started her own film company in uh San Francisco. She lives in San Francisco. She's won, you know, a a a con film award uh and you know she's praised by the left. She's she planned parenthood sponsored one of her, you know, openings of one of her films. She could not be more mm, I don't want to say anti-feminist, anti-feminist as we all understand what feminists are now.
4: She couldn't no. be. I mean, she, she said she no longer refers to herself
1: as a feminist. Yeah, she she saw, she made a movie. Her goal always was to make movies and have it be fair. So she thought she was going to go make a movie about the men's movement and she thought it was going to be a bunch of sexists and she found it wasn't. And so she made this fair movie. It's called The Red Pill. And when she did it, like, All of her friends, all of her contacts started calling her a racist, a sexist, a white supremacist. And she was like, what? What? Based on what? And she saw the movement for what it was. Tonight's another uh, second half of the interview with her. And she's just remarkable. You have to watch her.
5: Did you see the story of the Texas doctor who uh, said, uh, hey, you know, if you want to make the same amount, if if female doctors want to make the same amount as male doctors, they need to work harder. Uh, and that wasn't the entirety of what he said. What he said, actually, if you if you read his, I believe it was a tweet that he sent out, and he's just been bludgeoned for it. I mean, just almost beat into submission to the point where, of course, he po- apologized and took it all back, despite the fact that he was accurate and the article written about it admits. He was accurate. Women doctors uh, tend, uh, the majority of them, don't see as many patients during the course of the day because they spend more time with the patients they see and because they don't put in as many hours as men. Now, that's all backed up by fact from the American Medical Association.
1: And both of those, neither of those are bad things. Neither of those are bad things. Spending more time. He
5: said they're spending more time with their families and with their patients. Right. That's not bad. So they don't work as hard. In other words, men put in more hours. Or put
1: people through the meat grinder a little faster.
5: Right. And, and, uh, I mean, that is the medical profession now. You've got to see a bunch of patients in order to make more money in this in this day and age and and I'm sure it's probably always been that way. But uh women doctors went crazy,
1: feminists went crazy. Don't give in. Do, do not don't don't do not give in. I know he just did. Yeah, he did. Don't give in. When the facts are on your side, what do you have to apologize the truth for?
5: never needs an apology. It's so bizarre that we can't
1: even speak truth, we can't speak science. And we can't speak truth anymore. but we can. I mean, I don't know if you heard, by the way, welcome to Pat Gray. I don't know if you heard the interview we just did with the L.A. Times columnist. She's a lefty, but she has been now following Jordan Peterson and, you know, the intellectual dark web. She's a big fan of Brent Weinstein, who uh, Brett Weinstein, who I'm a big fan of. The guy from Evergreen uh, University It's just crazy Mm -hmm. stuff is happening. And. She was just saying that during the election, her friends just started becoming, you know, not her words, but basically Nazis. They were they all of a sudden you had to be 100 percent in lockstep Mm -hmm. or you were a racist, sexist, whatever. Well, that kind of happened on the right as well. It did, didn't it? And I think that there is maybe 70 percent of the country. Both left and right, that don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, she was just on. We probably don't agree on an awful lot, but I could live next door to her forever and we could be good neighbors mm-hmm. because she's not telling me I don't, I have to live the way she lives or believe the way she believes. And I wouldn't be doing the same to her. We could live as neighbors. And that's what America used to be. Yeah. And I think there's a growing number of people that are just sick of this. Sick of it. I hope so. I hope so too. I'm sure sick of it.
5: Yeah. I mean, it's gotten to the point where we just uh, we can't even speak to each other, yeah, at all. And and when you do, it just results in hate. And so, have you read my
1: book yet? Not yet. Mm-mm. You got to read it. Not out yet. No, it's not. This yeah, is I'm the me only one. copy. It's the first copy off the press. Wow. I might. I might let you read it. Really. I might let you read it. I I think you're going to really. It's also it.
4: available on Amazon if you want to just pre-order it, and they'll deliver it to you.
5: Yeah, but I still wouldn't have read it uh, if I'd done that. Yeah, but you should still mm-hmm. order it. <laughs> yeah, you should still order it.
1: <laughs> okay. I mean, now there's not a shot, but Bob <clears throat> Woodward is in his second week. I think I'm the only book coming out. Man, I would love to make a dent in the Bob Woodward thing. Oh yeah. Oh. oh, my gosh. Can you imagine if the second week? Not again. Not a chance. But the second week of Bob Woodward, if he's knocked to number two and we were at number one, we'd a we would have to sell so many more copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, the New York Times, will New be, York Times ma- will just they yeah. just
5: they'll put you behind him anyway. Yeah,
1: but I mean, it would just be so satisfying. It would so satisfying. It would. Um, anyway, um, I, I think you're going to really like it cause it's, okay. it's, it is, as Stu said this morning that he didn't, I mean, he kind of understood it along the way, but never really put all of it together. Cause I hadn't really put it all together all in one place mm-hmm. to understand. And mm-hmm. once you understand what we're dealing with and what the, you'll see the, the approach will make sense. You'll be like, uh, okay, all right. Gotta do that. So I mean, there's
5: hope to fix it or is it I think late? there
1: is. I think there I is. So. And I don't. And and Pat, you know me. I mean, I was looking I, my my instinct was right. I was looking in the wrong places and I didn't know why my instinct was telling me to go there. Um, and so I started reaching out to people on the left, hoping to find an well, there's are not going to be an honest broker in the people mm-hmm. that I was. There's not going to be an honest broker. Right. OK. But there's a problem that was really frustrating, really frustrating. And I Mm -hmm. gave up. But these honest brokers are there and they're starting to pop up and they're and they're just as sick of it as we are. And they see the destructive power that is happening now on both sides where it is my way or the highway. That's that's positive. That's positive.
5: Yeah. Yeah,
1: because most of them are deep thinkers, big, deep thinkers.
5: That's good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of uh, Woodward, um, as we were a moment ago, did you hear the conversation between he and President Trump?
1: I, I didn't hear no. it. I read
5: it. <laughs> <laughs> fascinating. I mean, all 11 minutes or, or whatever it is, are yeah. just it, it's just fascinating the whole time. I we're gonna play that in a few minutes, and it's—I mean—I don't know where to stop the tape because it's just so unbelievable <laughs> from start to finish for both of them. I think.
4: I mean, he, it's, Trump seems to have a real affinity for Bob Woodward at some level. Yeah, he does, uh, he, he and he keeps to referring
5: him. to the fact that they've talked and they've—he's been fair, and I—you I, know—I—I I know you're a fair broker. Yeah, not so much now. Uh, apparently, not—not
1: uh, not fair. He got anymore. Def-
4: You knew he. He knew that Trump was aware at this point that the book was not going to be positive. Yeah, it's, well, it, he kind of admits it well, during he the ends. conversation. He said,
1: "So we're going to have a very inaccurate book." Uh huh. And Bob's like, "No, <laughs> we're not. Oh, we're not. No, I, we're not." I painstakingly went through yeah. this and talked to people. And have you gone through uh, about an hour ago? Was it an hour ago or so? Uh, maybe a couple of hours ago. We did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went through the charges uh, uh, in Bob Woodward's book that we know so far. And took out all of the he said, she said, all of the stuff that, oh, he's crazy. Well, he's a retard and all that stuff. okay right. Get yeah. rid of all of that because yep. you'll never know unless there's a tape produced. You'll never know. OK, then look at what Bob is saying is happening in the White House that people are like, yeah, let's not tell the president about this. Yeah, let's get you. Mm-mm. OK, where they're mm. taking stuff off of his desk, mm-hmm. uh, where he was wanting to testify, but his lawyers were like, "Don't, no, 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 Mr. President, because you can't, you don't, you don't have a grasp necessarily with the truth the same way everyone else does." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> to put it nicely, everything I read seems accurate. Seems, in fact, no surprise, mm-hmm. no surprise. I
5: absolutely believe. Is there, are there any serious charges when you take everything out?
1: No, the only I mean, serious charge that I see. And and I have to split this in half. Is the idea that there are people around him that are taking things off his desk because no, 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 don't show that to the president. He'll want to do that, and that's a bad idea. And mm. they're saying it's for public safety or for the you know for the national mm-hmm. security or for economic security. Um, but that I think let me split this in half. The press is having a problem with that. But if you have a problem with this. Aren't, don't you have to recognize that the deep state then does exist? because isn't that what kind of yeah the deep state is supposedly doing
4: yeah because like okay. cone, cone mm-hmm. and, and others are are kind of treated as heroes in it they're right you know they trump wanted to do these bad things and they came in took papers off of his desk rerouted phone calls made sure that he didn't make contact with people and therefore protected the nation that's sort of and now again cone seems to be one of the big sources he hasn't right. refuted any of these quotes yet so, um but but, the, but take
1: out protect the nation right that's deep mm-hmm. state mm-hmm. okay that's maybe the reason why they're doing it But I think that's why deep state is you know, I think that's why the people who have been in the State Department forever are doing it, too. They think they're right. They're certain that they're right and they have to protect the nation. So, as you know, CNN is having this problem and, you know, Woodward and everybody is having this problem with them doing that. Well, on that side, then you have to admit that deep state exists on the other side. I've heard so many people who voted for Donald Trump saying that's they knew that was going on. They wanted that he would put good people around him. Now he's got the bad people out, good people around him, and they're going to stop him from doing anything crazy. Well, that's what we heard during the campaign. Right. So so where's the problem here? Right. There is no problem. It's what I mean, it is a problem if you look at what's normal and the Mm -hmm. way our system is supposed to work. Yeah, but we're not living in that world. Not at all. <laughs> not at all.
4: I mean, it doesn't seem like his his description would not describe a healthy work environment by any means. But does, I mean, does, uh, anyone, does anyone think, think working it is? for Donald Trump it, in president. the Trump yeah.
5: Hotel would be? Uh, It'd be chaotic, I bet. Yeah. The White House yeah. is
4: always an insane place to work at some yeah. level. And, and he, he it is, is a guy who
1: loves chaos. I mean, you, mm-hmm. there's he doesn't have to be president of the United States. We all know that working for Donald Trump would be nuts would be nuts one way or another. It's nuts. The guy could mm-hmm. come in at any time and go, you know what we're going to do? And everybody would be like, oh, dear God, what? I mean, but, but in, a, in a different way, read Steve Jobs' book. Read the book about Steve Jobs that came out. The people at Apple were like, don't tell Steve that. Don't tell Steve that or we're going to be doing that. That's what happens when you're mm-hmm. dealing with people who are innovators, crazy or not. That's what happens. You've got a bunch of people who are like, look, this could destroy the company. Don't tell Steve jobs that that's the same thing. They, they praise it with Steve jobs. They hate it with Donald Trump and anybody who's fighting against this because you think he's being smeared. I heard many of you say you wanted that they put a, they put a team together. One of the big revelations, they put a council together to vet his tweets. Now, He rejected it. Well, I heard a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump going, I wish he would just I wish somebody would take his Twitter away. Mm -hmm. I wish they would just take his Twitter away. Mm -hmm. Well, they tried to. He didn't let them do it. Okay, (laughs) what? Why is anyone who's a supporter of Donald Trump angry at this other than the he said, she said, which is meaningless?
4: Yeah. Yeah. The names that were being
1: called, yeah, especially since that. he
5: won't name any of the names. Right. And we're not we're not going to ever know who said
1: any right. of those things, supposedly. So I, th- you just discount them. Right. You can't. You, you'll never know. So it's meaningless to argue about mm-hmm. it. Uh, you know, there is the worst thing that I saw in here about about Donald Trump was uh, that he is volatile. Uh, he can fly into rages and he apparently likes to humiliate people.
4: Yeah, what a revelation. It's not a
1: revelation. He's most
4: all. famous for saying you're, you're fired. fired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course <laughs> he likes the humor. There's people. nothing new
1: in this book. <laughs> <poem. laughs> there's nothing new. All right, thanks Pat. All right. Be listening for the uh the audio. I read the transcript. I bet the audio is it's, fascinating.
4: It's pretty entertaining. Okay. <laughs> it's coming up on Pat Gray unleashed in the Blaze Radio and TV Network.
1: New study just came out uh of China said it discovered that air pollution causes a huge reduction in intelligence. Uh, this uh, in addition to the well-known impacts on physical health yeah china is china china should be doing a little study on the air quality high pollution levels uh led to significant drops in test scores with language and arithmetic uh, we have to breathe clean air we all know this now let's look at your air is your air filtered, and is your filter even clean? If you're at work or you're at home, you have to change your air filter. Especially in a summer like this, at least the summer here in Texas, man, our, our air conditioning has been on twenty-four-seven. It's running all the time. It's sucking all of that crap out of the air. When I was up at the uh, when I was up at the ranch in the mountains, I couldn't see the mountain. Literally, could not see the mountain that was across the street. Because of the smoke in the air from the forest fires that were in Canada, there's all kinds of stuff we're breathing in. Get a good clean filter, and it's easy to do it with filterby.com. Filterby.com, 600 different sizes, including custom options. They ship them within 24 hours. They're all made here in America, and you'll save 5% if you subscribe for auto replacement. So it just comes to your door, and you're like, oh, it's time to change the filter, and you just swap it out. Filter by. They're going to save you time. They're going to save you money. And they're going to save you a lot of cost on your HVAC system just by keeping your filters clean and your family will breathe better. It's filter by Filter, B-U-Y, filter by.com. Go there now.
2: Glenn Beck, Mercury.
1: Oh, I'm getting all kinds of heat on Twitter this morning. Uh, good, I like that. Um, that I should apologize to uh, the father of um, of uh, you know one of the kids that was was lost in the school shooting. No, two days ago he stated he was going to do something at the Kavanaugh hearing to block the nomination. This was not an honest Glenn, broker of information. Back. This was North a setup. Mary. Period.